For our scripture reading today, we're going to be reading from the book of 2 Peter. So if you would take your copy of scripture, open up to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to be reading verses 14 down through verses 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, 14 through 18. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I just want to take just a few moments before I preach to give you an update. Uh, my family and I had the opportunity last Sunday after the morning service, we drove over to Ohio and uh, spent some time with the Millers, uh, Pastor and Liz, on Monday, and uh, they send their greetings. Um, and I just wanted to give you an update. Um, I know some of you know what's going on, some of you don't. Um, Pastor Miller has a very rare disease that is effectively shutting down the use of much of his body. Um, and uh, he is now um, at, I would say he's at the later stages of his life, um, in the last stages of his life. And uh, he had a virus a few weeks ago that wiped out a lot of energy he had left and a lot of movement he had left. Um, and so basically he is sitting and he is laying in his bed and he is a prisoner in his body. Um, and so he has no movement. Um, I, I, and, but I want to tell you a story that, those of you who know Pastor Miller, this is a perfect indication that he is still there. <laughs> He's still all there mentally. Um, we were uh, talking and Liz Miller was saying how, you know, they were think they missed this church, they missed the people of this church, but... Um, they are glad they moved to Ohio, and they feel like they are Ohioans completely. And you look at Pastor Miller, and again, all that he can move on his body is his eyes. That's it. And that's where you can see. And, and she said, we're Ohioans, and all of a sudden you just saw from him, his eyebrows went up, as if to say, speak for yourself, lady. <laughs> Uh, Pastor Miller is from Indiana, born and raised in Indiana, and that's all he is going to be is Indianan. So uh, Hoosier uh, from birth to death. And so um, I, I want you to continue to pray for them. Um, I, I suspect that it will probably be less than three months before God calls him home. And, and, and it's hard to say, but I would say our prayer as a church is that God would call him home. Um, he is... Um, not living a life that any of us would desire. And uh, so just pray. But the amazing thing through all of this is that he has been a testimony of God's grace. He has been a testimony of God's work. Uh, we met um, a nurse uh, that 
uh, who, who spends a lot of time with Pastor Mill. In fact, uh, when, he was, when they were in their apartment, she was hired to come and spend time and help uh, with, uh, she's a caregiver, uh, not a nurse, but uh, and help with a number of things. When they moved to the place they're living now, um, they wanted her to continue to come, and so she quit her job so that she could help out Pastor. Uh, the cool thing is, is she was saved through the testimony of Pastor Miller. And uh, she is um, growing in her walk with God. And so God is still using Pastor Miller, despite the fact that um, he does not have the ability to speak um, or to communicate in the way that we would ex- uh, we would be used to. And so uh, be in prayer for Pastor, be in prayer for Liz at this time. I'm going to open with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful for all that you do. Lord, we're thankful for the ability to remember uh, people, and we're thankful for Pastor Miller and all that he means to the people of this church. And even those here that maybe don't, uh, never knew him, yet uh, his uh, testimony carries on through those that are here. Lord, I just pray that you will be with him at this time. Uh, Lord, our our desire is that you call him home. Uh, Lord, that he would like to be home with you. Lord, I just pray that uh, you allow him to not experience a lot of pain for these last days or weeks, whatever you have for him. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to know him. Lord, now as we go into this message, Lord, I pray that you will uh, help me to have words that are, are true, help me to have words that are edifying, help me to have words that will encourage us and exhort us to grow. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 is... As you come to the end of life, oftentimes uh, last words are very important. Um, George Washington, I don't know if you know this, George Washington's last words were this, It is well, I die hard, but I'm not afraid to go. Stonewall Jackson, who was inadvertently shot by one of his own men, said this uh, to, to the man who shot him, Let us pass over the river and rest under the shade of that tree. Uh, and then I have a few that didn't probably mean it to sound like this, but they didn't come out great as last words. Paco Villa, who was a um, Mexican uh, revolutionary, he said this, please don't let it end like this. Tell everyone I said something important. And those were his last words. Or Groucho Marx, a comedian, said this, either I am dead or my watch stopped. I'm not sure which. Well, this is my favorite, uh, Nostradamus, who was known to predict uh, events that happened and will happen. Uh, he said this, tomorrow at sunrise I will no longer be here. And he was right. I thought there would be more laughter on that one, but hey, that's all right. I thought it was funny. I chuckled to myself as I read it, but maybe it's just not one of those ha-ha, but a, one of those ha <laughs> Okay, so let's move on. 2 Peter chapter 3, though, verse 18, is, I believe, one of Peter's last words. Um, they're the last things we have recorded that Peter said. Um, it is believed not long after Peter wrote 2 Peter that uh, under the reign of Nero, uh, a, a wicked man, that Peter was brought to, as they said, justice. According to tradition, Peter was crucified upside down. He didn't feel worthy to die the same way that his Lord did, and so he asked to be crucified upside down. That's tradition. 
But it would have happened shortly after he wrote these words. And so, in a sense, this is Peter's dying wish. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Pastor Will read from 14 on, but I'm just going to focus on verse 18. And as Peter's last dying words, he said, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and the day of eternity. In fact, this idea of growth is the emphasis that Peter has throughout uh, his books. Look, if you will, at at 1 Peter chapter, we're going to looking at various verses in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. So, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Throughout the text of Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, uh, we can see this. And it's really not hard, it's not difficult to understand why this was a concern of Peter. I mean, Peter was a guy who was, man, he was rough around the edges, wasn't he? I mean, he was a guy that had all sorts of problems, but, but Peter was a guy who let his Savior down. He understood the consequences of being immature spiritually. He understood the consequences of that. Because of his immaturity, Jesus was in the garden praying alone. And what was Peter doing? Sleeping. He understood what it meant to be spiritually mature. And so that's why it was such a passion for Peter to grow. He knew that because of his immaturity that the testimony of Jesus was affected greatly when he denied Christ. So he was eager for those that read this text and for those of us who continue to read this text today, he was eager for us to be spared the pain of of spiritual immaturity and yet to grow. Last week I talked about what is our our vision for this year, what is our goal for this year. We're going to be be emphasizing growing together as a church. We're going to talk about those things. In the next uh, five weeks, I'm going to look at this topic of spiritual growth in a series entitled The Keys to Spiritual Growth. Now, that might sound to you like it's a little mechanical, like it's uh, uh, like spiritual maturity is something that can be obtained through some mere formula. And it's not. Spiritual maturity isn't just a formula that if I do this, if it's this plus this plus this equals spiritual maturity, it's, it's not that easy. It's, it's complex. Why is it complex? Because we as people are complex. Our personalities are complex. Peter was a complex individual. Peter was, uh, at times, a childish individual. I think at times Peter's motto was probably similar to the motto of Peter Pan. Remember his motto? I just want to be a little boy and have fun. And that little boy in Peter oftentimes made these simple directives of Scripture inadequate for achieving Christian maturity. And and he had to grow, but it, it took hard work and it took the working of God in his life. So that being said, over the next five weeks, I want to lay out for you some parameters of Christian maturity. What does that look like? How do we achieve it? What are elements involved in that? And these keys that we're talking about are not to be viewed as 
steps that are taken one at a time. And until you achieve the first one, you can't achieve the second one. No, these should be uh, should aid us in, in the longing of our heart, the desire of our heart to be, grow and be more like Christ. But I want to start with that question: Do you have that desire? Do you really? I mean, I think if if it came to it, if I was to walk around and ask any every one of you in public. Do you want to grow? You would say yes. But the, the question has to go deeper than that. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to grow? Are you there? Are you growing spiritually? Here in this passage, he tells us that we're to grow in two ways. Grow in grace and knowledge. Now, growth was a, was a common thing throughout the New Testament. We see numerous verses. Let me just look at a few. We see in 1 Thessalonians, he says, And may the Lord make you increase or grow or unbound in love for one another and for all. Uh, it is something that we are to be doing. We're to be growing. We see in uh, Philippians a similar thing. That my prayer that your love may abound, may grow more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That there is this growth process that takes place. We looked at this passage last week. Let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and let us go on to maturity. Let's grow. We should be growing. And our key verses for this year in Colossians, we're going to look at these quite a bit. And so, from the day we heard, we do not cease to pray for you, asking that you may be filled, that's growth, that you may be filled with knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. In these passages, we see growth mentioned over and over again. In some cases, growth is just a mere fact. It happens. In some cases, it's a goal to be achieved, but there is a sense where we have to grow in our walk with God. Now, there is a sense where if you are here today and you are a child of God, you already have grown. Why? Because you're not what you used to be. You have come to Christ. But there's this tension between what we are now and what we are to become. And we are to become something greater. And here in Second Peter, this grow is an imperative. It's a, it's a must-do. You ought to grow. It assumes that we have not obtained what we are ought to or what we one day will be. And that is our goal then is to achieve and to go towards those things. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, uh, we talked about growth, and, and Pastor Nate quoted in Philippians where it says that he who began in work, good work in me will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. That, that though it will never be complete until Jesus Christ comes, yet there's a responsibility that we are making progress towards that. And that's what we see. I, I like this quote. A, uh, a, a writer and a preacher by the name of A.W. Pink said this, It brings no glory to God that His children should be dwarfs. That there is this idea that we should be growing in maturity. Christian maturity is, is, is so important because growth is a part of life. You think about things uh, you know, around us that grow and what doesn't grow. Okay? This pulpit is not going to grow because it doesn't have life. Now, if you go out this spring and you plant a little, a little sapling, a little tree, and you, and you put it in the ground, and, and chances are maybe it's not strong enough, and so what do you do? You, you put a little stake next to it, don't you? And you tie it off, and, and what happens over time? What happens over time is that tree begins to grow. Does the stake? No, because it has no life. 
See, because growth comes where there is life. We're meant to grow, and so if you have the life of Christ in you, you are to grow. It should be a, a byproduct of, of having Jesus Christ in your life. And lack of growth is a problem. We talked about that last week. Lack of growth is a serious condition that robs you. It robs you of joy. Maybe you're not experiencing joy in your Christian life because you're not growing. You're stuck. You're stagnant. And that leads to other problems that Peter's going to talk about, but it could be hypocrisy, it could be a false profession, it could be apostasy. We need to grow. This morning I want to look at two elements of this. First of all, I want to look at the measurements. What, what, what are the, how, how can we determine if we are growing? And he gives us two of those in this passage, and I mentioned them already in verse 18. He says, but first of all, grow in grace. We see the first one there is we are to grow in grace. Now Peter, again, just like growth, Peter is enamored with the thought of grace. It's something that uh, he uses, if we're, we're not going to look there now, but if you look in uh, verse 2, of chapter 1 of each of his books, uh, he uses the idea of grace. He talks about grace. It's something he talks about over and over again. In fact, he mentions grace throughout his books. In fact, grace is something that's mentioned throughout the New Testament. So we have to talk about what is grace. Well, the simple definition that many of you heard is, have heard is grace is God's undeserved favor. In other words, God's showing us favor when we deserve disfavor or judgment. It's God saying, I'm going to give you favor. Now we know the ultimate uh, example of that is, is salvation. We see in, in Ephesians uh, 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved. It's because of the grace of God that God reaches down and saves you. Turn your Bibles uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And we see here, uh, Peter talks about that type of grace, sal- salvific grace, grace that leads to salvation, where he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, concerning this salvation, he's referencing back to the previous verses where he talks about uh, uh, being born again, and he says concerning this, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. He says this, this salvific grace, this grace that leads to salvation is is, is so vital, so important. We need to start there. But I, I think there's, there's a, a more to it than that. There's more than just that. Notice that Peter talked about this type of grace in his own life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways and inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things, the silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Peter understood that we are saved, we are brought to Christ because of grace. Now some call this type of grace the grace of justification. It is, uh, oh, 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 uh, it is the type of grace that brought us salvation. But there's another kind of grace that's mentioned throughout Scripture. And this, these, this could be term, termed as continual grace or some refer to it as the grace of sanctification. And this is the grace that causes us to persevere day after day after day. And that is the, the type of grace that I think Peter is talking about here when he says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace. 
And you say, how do you grow in that type of grace? I mean, isn't grace, isn't grace undeserved favor? So how do I grow in undeserved favor? I don't deserve it, so how do I grow in that? The grace that had saved him, Peter understood that. And, but, but this is beyond that, and this is something more. In this chapter, he is uh, talking about that continual, after-the-fact type of grace. Well, let's go look back, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but chapter uh, 3 of Second Peter, Peter starts off the chapter talking about the second coming of the Lord, that one day Jesus Christ would return. And he's talking about this return of Christ, and, and uh, that it's not something that's, down the road, it's something that could happen at any moment. In fact, he uses a couple interesting verses. Look at verse 8. He says, But do not look, overlook this one fact, beloved, that the day, with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He says it could happen at any moment. We don't know God's timetable. He thinks differently than we do. His time process is different than ours. But he says it could happen at any moment. How do we know that? Look, look on. Continue reading. It says uh, in verse 9, uh, look at verse 10, excuse me. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, does a thief give warning? No. It comes when you least expect it. And so what is Peter's point in that? Is that, that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. He could come like a thief in the night. And the reason why he delays his coming is because of grace. See, he doesn't come right now because he wants or he desires to be gracious to sinners. He gives them opportunity to repent. But then notice what Peter says next after he says, hey, he comes like a thief in the night. Look at verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? If all of this is true, that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and it could happen in this instant or in the next. And what kind of people should we be in the process? Have you thought about that? If one day Jesus Christ is going to come back and we're going to stand before Him, and how should we be living until then? What should we be doing? Since you experience grace, the grace of God that brought you salvation, and grace is what is going to get you to heaven, then you should live your lives according to that grace as you're looking forward to this new heaven and this new earth that he talks about in verse 13, as you're looking forward to this new heaven and this new earth that's, that's going to come, you need to rely on the grace of God. You need to live pure, blameless. He says, look what he says in verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace with God. Then he tells us down in verse 17, look there. While this is all happening, you therefore, beloved, knowing this, knowing that, that Jesus Christ is going to return, and knowing that uh, there is going to, uh, in the process of that, there is going to be things that are going to come that are hard. Look what he says in verse 17. You therefore, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away from the errors of lawless people and lose your own stability. He says, knowing that, you need to live in a way that is without blemish, without spot. He said, be careful. Because in the process of living your life, if you are not careful, that the world's going to come, and there are going to be people that are going to come, and they're going to sweep you away into false doctrine. 
That's a challenge. That's a challenge because so many times as, as people, we live, um, we live for today. We don't think of eternity. And so we look down in our life and we say, ah, I, I just don't see the point. I mean, I, 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 I just don't see what God's doing. And, and so we take our eyes off of God. And what Peter is saying is there, it's inevitable. Jesus Christ will return and in the process live for him. But be careful. There could be things come along the way that are going to cause you to stumble. And just as God's grace saved you and, and, want, and held you in the past, God wants you to grow in grace. Now, those two aspects of grace, I think, are seen in, in one of the uh, most well-known songs that we sing, and that's Amazing Grace. Listen to the words. He says there, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's that salvation grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now can see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear when first I did believe. And listen to this. Through many troubles, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And ask the question again. How do you grow in grace? Because if grace is unmerited favor, then what do I do to grow in the process of grace? And I think Paul is a good example of this. And I want to look at Paul as an example of one who grew in grace. See, because he grew in grace, the more he grew to understand who he really was. See, because if we really grasp grace, then we understand this, that grace is undeserved favor. And so what that means is, if it's undeserved to me, then that means there's something about me that makes it undeserved. And that is my sin. See, because I, deserve, I don't deserve grace because I'm a sinner. And, and Paul, I think, understood the more that he was aware of his sin, the more he understood the grace of God in his life. And I think the same is true for us. And I think we even see this in, in, in the Apostle Paul's life. I think we, we struggle to grow because our arrogance causes us to think that we don't need to grow. I think there's many Christians who are content with, hey, I, I, I feel I've arrived. Now, no one would actually say that. There's not a person who would say that. Yeah, I've gotten to a good place spiritually. But you're not going to grow in grace. Because you don't think you need grace, right? Because if it's undeserved, I, well, I have gotten there. I deserve it. I think Paul grew in grace the more he shrunk in himself. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. In 1 Corinthians, which is one of the first books that the Apostle Paul wrote, he said this about himself. He said, I am the least of all apostles. Now, how many apostles were there? Well, there, there were 12 apostles, and, and so he's saying, I'm the least of 12. Okay, that's, that's humility, isn't it? Kind of. But as he grew in his understanding of who he was, we see something different. In Ephesians, which was written after 1 Corinthians, Paul said this. He didn't say, I'm the least of all apostles. He says, I am less than the least of God's people. See, he's now saying, hey, I'm... the more he got aware of who he was, the more he realized he needed God's grace. I'm not just the least of apostles. I am the least of all of God's people. 
Then we come to Timothy, which is one of the last books that Paul wrote. And you know what he said in Timothy? I am the worst of all sinners. See, as Paul grew in his understanding of his wickedness, in other words, as Paul humbled himself, he grew in the grace of God. And he became more Christ-like. So Peter's concern here for Christians that we see in 2 Peter is this. When he talks about the idea of growing in grace, it's growing in the understanding of who God is and who I am. It's growing in the understanding of who you are. And who you are is, is a sinner except for the grace of God. And who you are is a person who is lost on their way to hell except for the grace of God. And who you are is a person who cannot make choices that please God except for the grace of God. And it's, it's this humbling of ourselves, and as we humble ourselves, we begin to see ourselves grow in the grace of God. And Peter's concern for Christians was that they needed to understand that this was not uh, uh, made just to certain people. This, this growing is without exception. No matter what our circumstances may be, this is an imperative to grow. And no matter if your life was hard or easy, it was an imperative to grow. And because of who Peter was, he understood that, and through his life he saw that, that running through the course of life is only possible through the grace of God. Every step of the way. Grace is necessary. But then Peter says something interesting. He says, but grow in the grace, and then he says in the knowledge. We're not only to grow in grace, but we're also to grow in knowledge. Now, some commentaries that I was reading and some common, uh, writers of commentaries uh, disagree on what this knowledge is referring to. Is this a, 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 an objective knowledge or this is a subjective knowledge? Is this a knowledge of the mind or is this a knowledge of the heart? Is this a knowledge that causes us to know more about God or is this the knowledge that causes us to, be, to, to know God better in our relationship with Him? I believe it's both. I believe that uh, one feeds upon another. You cannot uh, divide head knowledge from heart knowledge. You have to have a head knowledge of God in order to have a true heart knowledge of God. And, 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 and the two go together. One leads to the other. You cannot grow in love uh, with someone until you know that person. What they are. What they like. What they don't like. And the same thing goes true with our relationship with God. As we grow in knowledge of Him, we grow in our relationship with Him in our love for Him. And here, Peter is talking about that, that as we grow in grace, we're going to grow in knowledge as we get to know Him. And, his, and this, is, this is the effort on our part. See, the reality is growing in grace, that's relying on undeserved favor, but growing in knowledge is something that we must do. And the more that we know about Christ, the more we become like Him. What Peter is urging is for them to get to know Christ more. Are you doing that? Do you contemplate who Christ is, what He did? Do you dwell on it? Do you think about all Christ is? Do you think about the fact that Christ is our prophet to teach us? He is our priest to forgive us. And He is our King to rule over us. And at the end of the day, what this is requiring is sanctification, growth to become like Christ growing so much that we begin to resemble Him. 
too often we say, well, I'm a human, I can't do that. And there's truth to that. Remember what we said? Remember what Peter was saying? Hey, there's going to be a time when Christ is going to return. And how are you supposed to live until that point? Without blemish, without spot, and at peace with God. And how does that happen? By growing. Growing each and every day. Do you notice that he put grace first before knowledge? Because I believe that without the grace of God, uh, our knowledge would just go to our head. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees had, uh, had all this knowledge, but they didn't have the grace of God because they weren't humble enough to accept the grace of God or think they needed the grace of God. But as they grow, as they experience that, that growth, then you can uh, begin to see change. Jonathan Edwards, a, uh, a preacher uh, of, in America a, hundred, a few hundred years ago, said this. Uh, he, he wrote a series of 70 resolutions about his own life and about the spiritual disciplines he was going to have in his life. And he began it this way. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they agree with his will for the sake of Christ. So he understood it was humility. And when we get humility, we grow in grace. And as we grow in grace, we begin to grow in knowledge. Apart from grace, all the knowledge just becomes legalism. We are to grow. Sorry, I didn't click that one over. We are to grow in grace. We are to grow in knowledge. The second uh, aspect we want to look at in just the next few moments is just a few observations uh, from this text and others about spiritual growth. What is spiritual growth supposed to look like? Spiritual growth is best seen under pressure. And this actually came up in our Sunday school class. Uh, that it's seen under. What do I mean by that? Growth is very difficult. We talked about this in our growth group last week. Growth is very difficult to observe in a spiritual sense. Uh, how many of you at your house uh, have or had in the past uh, uh, somewhere on a door frame or something a chart to chart your kid's growth? How many of you had that or have had that? Okay. Somewhere along you have uh, a, where your kids are growing. We, we didn't do that. Um, and uh, but you know we, you can see growth with kids. Uh, I've mentioned this. I can see growth with my kids because we're constantly have to buy them new clothes because they're growing out of the old ones, or they're walking around with high water pants because we just bought them, but suddenly they grew again. And we see physical growth, don't we? How do you measure spiritual growth? How how is it that you can observe spiritual growth in someone's life? And I believe that. Spiritual growth is best measured in our response to trials and difficulties. Peter, in verse 17, is writing to warn us of the possibility of apostasy and backsliding. And as others are going backwards, Peter says, I want you to be going forwards and, uh, and keep on keeping on, even through difficulties, even through hard circumstances. And it, it is under those pressures of trials that we see growth. And we see uh, spiritual maturity taking place. And so spiritual growth is oftentimes best seen under the pressures and trials of life. Secondly, spiritual growth is not the same all the time. We see this in Peter's life, don't we? There's times where Peter was, was man, it, just, it was hard to see growth. And, and he, he spent three years with Christ and there would be glimmers of, 
glimpses of little bits of growth and then there would be other times where there would be huge amount of growth. I, I think about Peter uh, for a moment. Remember the, the night that Jesus Christ was on trial and what was Peter doing? He was, he was standing around a fire warming himself and, and uh, he was watching in a distance and people kept coming up to him. Hey, aren't you one of them? Remember there was a little servant girl came up and said, aren't you with Jesus? And I don't know him. The Bible tells us even he, he even uh, said a curse. Because I don't know. And yet it's just a matter of six weeks later. Peter stands up in front of a very large group of people and begins to preach the gospel. And because of that, he's taken him and John and they're taken before the same exact individuals that brought Jesus Christ to, his, to the cross. Peter stands before them and with boldness says, Hey, Jesus Christ is alive. How did he go from this guy who's cowering in fear of a little servant girl to the point that he's saying, That's a massive amount of growth. You know what? He didn't grow like that all the time. I say that because growth doesn't always go like that. Sometimes we go through times of great growth, and sometimes we go through times of a small growth, but we need to be people that are constantly progressing in our growth, and, and that growth is happening, and it's, it's taking place even little at a time. Thirdly, growth is not automatic. We often approach growth or sanctification with a passive attitude. Uh, we believe that, we tend to think that it's something that's achieved by uh, faith alone, but yet uh, there's not a lot of doing on our part. Yet Scripture says that growth is something that we need to do. It's the hard work. In fact, uh, Paul, when he's talking to Peter, he says, you know, bodily exercise profits some, but training ourselves for godliness, that's what really matters. The idea of training there in that passage is, is hard work. And Peter understood that, that it's hard work. There is an aspect of, of sanctification that, uh, that, that does mean that we are holy and there's nothing we've done about it. Do you understand that when, when Jesus Christ came and when He died and when you believe in the, the, the salvation that you get through Jesus Christ, the Bible says you now have the righteousness of Christ and so you now are holy and standing. That, that doesn't mean it's practically speaking that we're holy. We have to live that out by the way that we live and effort on our parts. Sanctification does not come by osmosis. Growing does not come by just accident that, oh yeah, I grew. No, growing takes work. We are to fight. Peter said just in this passage, look at uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 14, he says, be diligent. That takes effort. That takes uh, uh, serious work. Verse eight, uh, 17, he says, uh, take care. Other translations say it this way. Be on guard. It takes work. It takes effort. We're going to make every effort in our life to make sure that growth is a priority. So how do we do that? Hey, how do we do that? How do we make every effort? Well, we put ourselves in situations that cause and, and, and help growth. And we keep ourselves in situations that don't help growth. 
being in this one place you know doesn't cause you growth, don't be there. Allowing entertainment into your life that doesn't cause growth, don't allow it. Because it's serious. We've become too casual as Christians thinking, ah, I'll grow eventually. Oh, it takes work. Over and over again, Scripture tells us to, to be on our guard, to be, be sober, to, to be aware. And these are all commandments that are, lead to growth. They're all commandments that take work. It's not automatic. You may be tempted to think that because you've been around for a long time, because you've been a Christian for a long time, that this automatically entitles you to maturity. It's not the case. You may think that just because you come and you sit in this auditorium week after week that somehow you magically are growing. That's not necessarily true. You've got to grow. You've got to work. You've got to spend time in God's Word. You've got to be around God's people that are encouraging you to grow. so that when those trials of life come, your maturity is seen the way you live. Next one, spiritual maturity, spiritual growth must be desired. This kind of goes along with all the ones I already said, but you've got to want it. And I asked the question at the beginning, do you really want to grow? You've got to want it. You've got to say, you know what, I, I want that more than, than financial prosperity. I, I, I want that more than popularity. I, I, I want that more than success at my job. I want to grow. And then finally, spiritual growth is not a personal issue only. And we, 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 as I said last week, our, our vision for this year is grow together. Throughout Scripture, we see over and over and over again that discipleship, growth, sanctification is is a corporate thing, not just an individual thing. Now, I already mentioned that in this verse, in verse 18, that word "grow" is is an imperative. It's it's a must. You have to grow. It's it's a responsibility. It's a command by God that says grow. But there's more to that uh, that word. There, it's interesting that that verb is is not in the singular, it's in the plural. It's not meaning you all grow, it's meaning you grow together. It's the idea of this. It's not just saying, hey, church grow. No, it's saying to each individual in the church, you grow as together, as you work together. It's, it's an interesting word, and it reflects something that we see throughout the New Testament. We talked about that last week. We grow as we relate to others, as we, uh, 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 as we rub shoulders with each other, rather than in isolation. Now, can you grow personally, individually on your own? Yes, you can. But what, what, as we look through the New Testament, we see growth is oftentimes, uh, and in fact, more often than not, growth is done in a corporate, uh, rubbing shoulders with others situation. Spiritual disciplines that lead to growth take place as a church. This is why we're to hold each other accountable. I want to challenge you with something this week. 
and I guarantee you that for probably 95% of you, this is going to be hard. But I want to challenge you with something this week. I want to challenge you this week to find to have two people this week that you walk up to them instead of having this type of conversation. Hey, how's it going? Good? Okay, good. How's the weather? Yeah, it kind of stinks. I don't like the snow. Do you like the snow? I don't. Okay, instead of having those type of conversations or who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? I think the Patriots are. Because they do. But anyway, uh, instead of having those type of conversations, we have the type of conversation where we go up to someone. And so I want to challenge you, two people, two people this week, not related to you. Make it a little harder. Go up to them and say, are you growing in your walk with Christ? Now, don't be awkward about it. Okay, don't walk up. There's a group of people standing around, and they're talking about the Patriots winning the Super Bowl. And you walk up and go, sorry, are you growing in Christ? Don't be awkward. Don't put them in an uh, uh, odd situation, but I challenge you this week. Because if we are, as a church, if our responsibility is to grow in grace and grow in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're to do it together, then why is it that something like this, going up and asking someone, hey, are you growing in your walk with God? Why is it for many people in this auditorium that's a very uncomfortable question to ask? Because we're not doing it. We should be constantly having conversations with fellow believers about their walk with God. I do, but I'm a pastor. People expect me to. What about you? And I guarantee you, no one who is actually concerned about spiritual things will... will be bothered by what you ask. I want to challenge you with that. And maybe that question will be a lead-in to a, a, to, to a time of, of spiritual growth, not only for you, but that person. Are you growing? Ask yourself right now, are you growing? Are you growing in your relationship with God? If you're not, why not? Are you veiling yourself of every opportunity for growth? Or are you discounting the necessity for growth? Because I've been a Christian a long time. Remember, as I said at the very beginning, these were Peter's parting words. This was Peter's, in a sense, dying wish. That he wanted them all to know was this. Grow. Grow in grace. Grow in knowledge. And notice what he says at the very end, the last phrase, to him, to Jesus, be glory. Not myself. When I grow, it's not about me. It's not about, oh, good job, I've grown. No, it's to Jesus be glory, both now and for eternity. Are you growing? Not for yourself alone, for those around you and for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I do thank you. I do thank you for how you work and guide in our lives. Lord, I am so thankful for the grace of God. I am very aware of the fact that I do not 
deserve salvation, and yet you gave it to me. I'm very aware that I do not deserve any of the blessings that I have in my life. But you gave it to me. So Lord, I pray that you would help me and help those here to humble ourselves enough to, uh, to acknowledge that we need your grace even more. And then with that grace, Lord, help us to pursue a knowledge of you more like Christ. Thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you. Lord, if there's any in here who have not accepted that, that free grace of God that brings salvation, can't we? I pray, Lord, that you will convict them of that. Bring them to you. Or if there's a Christian here who is not growing, God, I pray, first of all, that they will repent growth is something that you ask and you require. So if we are not growing, then we are in sin. Lord, I pray if there's any here that is a Christian who is not growing in their walk with God, that they will repent of it today. Lord, they will pursue growth. Lord, for those that we're trying to grow, it's not happening as fast as we'd like. Lord, I pray that you will give us grace. You will allow us to, to see the errors that need to change. We ask this in Christ's name.